Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. North of the border, it's cold. Thanksgiving not celebrated there, but down here, football is everything. Thanksgiving appointment viewing on NFL TV. It's our annual Thanksgiving NFL special, and who better to share it with than Dan Calaruso, the intergalactic global editor of Reuters. How are you? Pass me a drumstick, Rick, because you have me now hungry. All that talk about Thanksgiving has, has me a little bit hungry to have a drumstick and watch the New York football Giants against the Redskins. If that doesn't hurt your appetite, nothing will. Yeah, really. Tell me about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, bottom line of all of this is Detroit, it is a tradition. Dallas, Irving, Arlington, it's been a tradition. And then the late night game floats around. But the other tradition is big time charity. You know, we talk about Dallas. Jerry Jones's uh, daughter has been involved in the Salvation Army for a long time. So Ezekiel Elliott, who will not play this week, which is another issue, he did a Red Kettle Leap touchdown celebration, $250,000 bump in holiday donations for the Salvation Army, not to be outdone, Tostitos does something similar, $500,000 to support the local Salvation Army chapter, EverFi's got a big deal with Aurelius Ben in Jacksonville called the Phone Home Program with the NFL, point is, and I know this is not the core of business, but this is a week to be thankful for, and theoretically to use the NFL and football generally as a platform to promote the power of sports and charity. What about that? Well, I think I think that's a, I'm not so, I mean, obviously these big franchise sports are important to raise money for charities. Big captive audience, affluent, they're already parting with a lot of money, a few more bucks doesn't mean a lot to them. It means a lot to the charities in aggregate. I think the bigger issue is if the NFL this year um, with so many image problems from, you know, the, whether it's the protesting players, the Craven ownership, whatever, however people see this, the current ills of the NFL on an image basis, uh, I think it's important for the league this year to make a lot out of it. Um, and I think for its causes to broaden out a little bit would probably help, them, help the league in the future. Uh, so I think it is crucial to the, more crucial to the business this year in terms of kind of uh, as we, as they say in Silicon Valley, a pivot uh, on the in the conversation at least, because right now, as we know, the conversation has not been good for the NFL. Well, the segue is great because Ezekiel Elliott jumps in a kettle last year. Nothing's jumping in that kettle for the Salvation Army as far as a running back this year. He's suspended. Uh, Roger Goodell made the suspension. Uh, he is judge, jury, executioner unlike the NBA and unlike the NHL, who still have people on their payrolls, but the commissioners seem to dilute that a little bit. And, of course, Jerry Jones has been rumored to try to sabotage the contract extension negotiations. Jerry Jones thinks that the $250 million that Roger Goodell earns is not necessarily out of whack, but it is a $50 million guaranteed going forward a year. How about incentivizing? But the bigger issue, some owners are even wanting to remove Jerry Jones. So there is a schism between a lot of the owners at the time you could least afford it. You know, it, it's funny. Whenever there's a schism in the NFL ownership uh, cabal, uh, Jerry Jones always seems to be decidedly in the middle of it. Um, and I don't mean in the middle of the schism. I mean in the middle of the fight. Uh, you know, Goodell's contract is... 
heavy. It's a $40 million a year, right? Possibility, maybe more, but 85% of it is in bonuses, which makes it incumbent on Goodell to kind of quash this rebellion uh, civilly, <laughs> just in order to get the NFL back to creating and producing and distributing a product that people want to watch. Uh, and that and that seems to be the issue these days, right? I mean, people don't want to watch it for any number of reasons, uh, not the least of which is kind of the weird quality, the off, the the erratic quality of the games this year. Um, so, I mean, I'm wondering from your point of view, like the NFL hasn't seemed to have done much right uh, in terms of the past year and a half. Um, what do you think it has to do right once Goodell is locked? Let's say Goodell resigns. What does the NFL have to do right from there? And it's a really good question. So if his deal gets done on December 13, which a lot of people expect it to be, then one of the first issues is perception and discipline. The collective bargaining agreement is not over with, and there is a reopener. And the first thing they need to do is agree on process where the Players Association does not continually reject the discipline because the commissioner did it. Like we said, in other leagues, they've resolved those issues. And so... Understand that every time Roger Goodell suspends a player, like it or not, whether it's Tom Brady or Ezekiel Elliott, that's two owners that he used to like or have and he doesn't have them anymore. So he's got some issues with the players and the owners. And so a streamlined procedure and then maybe an understanding. The NFL is doing a better job than most people understand in trying to get people to watch, to decouch, to go to games because of the new stadiums, but also to watch the games on whatever platforms, the mobile experience. And I think a lot of the reasons why the television numbers are down is streaming is up, which is good because youngsters, millennials watch on devices that you and I don't even know how to operate. And that doesn't mean the NFL shouldn't get credit because guaranteed with Twitter and Facebook and Amazon and Snapchat, they're going to get rights fees for those. It's just a question of how to maximize it and how to tell that story more than anything else. Right. It's almost like a, uh, they almost have to think of themselves with these new platforms as a chef deconstructing a classic meal, you know, it, 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 to continue on the Thanksgiving theme. They really have to deconstruct the, deconstruct the experience of an NFL game to, to put the appropriate parts on the appropriate platforms. Um, and, and I think that's going to be, you know, do you, you continue to mine the fantasy, that fantasy vein, which has been very, very good for them. Um, and you, th- there are a couple of different, you know, uh, ancillary revenue streams that are going to be really good for them on these other platforms. How do you plug into those with the right product? Because putting the traditional game on those products may not be the way to go. Uh, what bells and whistles can you come up with on those products? What interactivity? You know, can I call a play for the Giants from Snapchat? I mean, it sounds silly, um, but is there an alternate game that you have going on to see if you can outcoach Ben McAdoo? I mean, that's kind of the interesting potential that the NFL has to mine, make it almost akin to a video game. This, the gateway drug to the NFL with this generation is probably more Madden than it is, you know, uh, rookie league football. It's a brilliant football. suggestion. I just wish you could have picked something harder than outcoaching McAdoo. <laughs> okay, how about a video game where I talk Bill Cower out of retirement? Yeah, that's harder. <laughs> or, or John Gruden. That's harder. I got it. So, you know, the bottom line is the idea of interactivity is really important, and I think everybody does that. And and our, our friends north of the border, you know, may have it right with a lot of different things, and Canadian football is a big deal. And, and you know, we talked about it before we got on the air today. Well, what's your, what's your thought generally about some of that? Well, when you say Canadian football, you mean the Vikings? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, a little north of that. So, oh, and that is an interesting point. So the, the, the north uh, of that. The, 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 by uh, the way, the the league, the league that's been in existence now for 105 years. Their Grey Cup is in Calgary. Uh, they're playing the Toronto Alouettes and the Calgary. Excuse me, their Grey Cup is in Ottawa. Uh, the Calgary Stampeders are playing the Toronto. Argonauts, Mark Tressman, who uh, did not uh, coach the Bears well, or at least it didn't end well, is now the one of the few people on earth who is trying to win two uh, world championships or, uh, with two different teams, the one with the uh, Toronto, uh, uh, the Montreal Alouettes, and now the Toronto Argonauts. It's big north of the border, but, uh, you know, p- perspective in, in the CFL is is kind of interesting. Well, I, I, you know, when you first told me we had the CFL commissioner, I, I, I was a little bit skeptical, but, you know, you make a very good point that, the, the CFL is kind of like if the entire NFL were made up of teams that ran like the Green Bay Packers. Um, seriously, like community-oriented, um, not, not, you know, not with huge, tremendous facilities, um, not huge TV deal. That's maybe the, that's different for the Packers because they, they revenue share. But, but they survive on the strength of the local community, a lot more like the NFL was probably in the 50s, right? Um, but that works there under that economic model. You don't need another big foot. Another big football league probably couldn't survive if they had the revenue appetite that the NFL had, right? Uh, Packers on steroids, let's say. It's not just the Packers or one market. It's the entire Western Conference, effectively. There's one team that's not. But uh, Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, you know, those are all cities, 800,000, 2 million that could not... Uh, focus on a team unless it was effectively community supported and community owned. So the stadiums, they're iconic teams. Uh, hockey does really well, as we know, it's the number one sport in Canada, but the Canadian Football League teams need a little help to keep the tradition going, and that's why the Western Conference teams are usually a, a, a signal and a poster child for the community ownership, and the Eastern teams are private owned, but uh, listen, it comes together in incredible situation that is kind of iconic for Canada. Uh, Jim Lawson has been the chairman of the board of the Canadian Football League. Uh, they're a commissioner and everybody reports to him. He's a he's a corporate lawyer, merger and acquisition guy. We talked to him at the Primetime Sports Conference in Toronto last week, uh, heading to what he says is the toughest ticket in Canada. And here's Jim Lawson to explain how and why. We have somebody who's the chairman of the board of the Canadian Football League, not the commissioner, the chairman, Jim Lawson. And the bottom line, Jim, is that you have nine teams in Canada, right? Nine CFL teams. And you have basically social mandate, social responsibility with all of them. There seems to me a bit more of a community trust-oriented set of organizations than NFL franchise. Not comparative, but but it's so important to the fabric of Canada. Talk about that. Sure. Uh, well, I think it's it's very much a, a, uh, represents what Canada's all about. It's uh, the Grey Cup is a big community event and, and festival each year, and people come from all over the country to uh, to come to the Grey Cup. Um, three of the nine teams, uh, Rick, are community-owned teams, yeah. uh, which is important. A lot of them are in in smaller markets, um, smaller relative markets. Hamilton uh, sells out every game. Yeah. Uh, Ottawa sells out every game. Regina, the entire province comes to a game Regina. Yeah. So it's 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 a big part of every community that it's in, but it's a it's been the Grey Cup uh, uh, has been an, uh, very much a part of the Canadian fabric and very and, and culture 
for so long that and there's a big Canadian content in the in the league too that uh, half the teams are um, comprised of Canadian players I don't know whether you knew that but is, uh, it, is it a rule that, that each team has yes, can have no in, more than X Americans is that the way it correct. evolves yeah does the X change on a regular basis or has it been the same for years it's it's been pretty constant mm. it's changed marginally but it's it's interesting um, you know the the thing about Canada there, there are pockets of population and so when you go to university um, you always know someone that's playing yeah, in the Canadian yeah, Football yeah. League it's it's interesting because uh, there are pockets of population and, and these players that you saw playing in high school or playing in your university are in the Canadian Football League so it, it really makes it part of the Canadian fabric. International show this is going to be broadcast internationally but I, I did get a kick out of the commissioner, the chairman, walking around today, and we're filming this before the Grey Cup, saying, he had a little sandwich board saying, I do not have Grey Cup tickets, don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasant problem. It's been, it's yeah, been it's sold out problem. for six months. So pleasant problem. <laughs> Wonderful. Give us your kind of elevator speech career evolution. How did you end up here? Uh, I think that uh, probably the main fact that got me here is, is uh, practicing law at a high level mm -hmm. or I'll say sophisticated level not yeah. to try and make <laughs> myself sound sophisticated but yeah. you understand when I say that high level transactional law uh, I think those that sort of skill set uh, can can translate into any business very well and uh, I had and prestigious a, uh, law firms in Toronto obviously. Yeah. Yeah. and uh, I would say that you know that was a great a great stepping stone. I, I had played uh, some professional hockey. My father played in the Canadian Football League. I have run uh, Canada's largest horse racing track, uh, Woodbine Entertainment. We have uh, uh, a, the largest thoroughbred track in Canada and the largest harness racing track in Canada, which, I, which I've been part of for seven or eight years. So it's, uh, and that, that too evolved out of, I think, my transactional legal background and was recruited to do that. CFL has gone through changes in commissioner leadership a lot recently. Now you have yes. one who seems to be um, destined for longevity. Uh, hopefully you could say that about anybody. But how is, what's the general financial and, and, uh, and social health of the Canadian Football League right now? It's very good in, in this sense. Uh, you start with the fact that we, our infrastructure is so strong. We have new stadiums literally all across the league, and I think that's just a huge plus for the future of the league, that there's been investment by the owners and the communities uh, in the new stadiums, which bodes well. Uh, the, uh, the league is in a healthy place today in terms of its quality of play, um, the way it's being run. Um, we have uh, our challenges in the Toronto market, which are which are well known, and I would attribute that mostly to just a market where there's so much competition. Uh, and uh, and then I would describe the other, uh, you know, teams like any sport are cyclical in terms yeah. of of doing well, and they and they sell well and and uh, sell tickets well when they're doing well, and others uh, and not as well when they're not playing well. But I. I Looking forward, um, it, it, we're in a very healthy place, I would say, in, in the sports world. Uh, for the CFL, it's, it's about bums and seats. Yeah. Uh, we have a television contract with, with TSN, and I think the, the magic uh, in, in those broadcasting relationships these days, and I'm sure you spend a lot of time thinking about it or talking about it in, in your class and in the, 
and the work you do uh, is uh, that new generation and how they consume sports, um, just the digital media world and uh, and but you all are adapting sports. And, you're adapting and we're very moving, well to it. And we're yeah. moving in that direction. We have to. Um, and uh, but it's it's uh, it's it's difficult. And in you know, one of the the uh, biggest issues in sports is how do you get paid for your content? You put on the show yeah. and make sure you get paid for it. Yeah. And uh, that's that's something that we're spending a lot of time uh, thinking about as we look forward about uh, getting paid for our content. Uh, how much of the kind of nationalistic spirit pervades the CFL from a branding perspective? You're stable. You've been in existence for over 100 years. Uh, how important is that to Canadians? I, I think it's critical. I, it, it, does, it does vary somewhat by market, but uh, it, it really is uh, when uh, you're a Canadian, um, you're very proud to, to say you're a fan of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, or you're, you're a fan of the Montreal Alouettes. It's, it's, a, great, it's a great sense of pride, and as I say, uh, every, every year at the end of November, beginning of December, uh, the league comes together, and it's, it's a great event, and it's a big source of pride. Everyone... Uh, not everyone, but many majority of Canadians uh, can can boast, as I said earlier, that they know someone who played in the CFL, and it's a big source of pride for them. Uh, one of my good friends, Mark Tressman, one of his proudest moments was winning those Grey Cups in Montreal, and he wouldn't trade that for for yeah. the world. Well, and he's got he's he's got a chance. He's 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 come back, of course. Uh, uh, and coaching the Toronto Argonauts, and they're in the Eastern Final this year, and uh, he may he may get another chance. Look, don't bet against <laughs> that guy. I can tell you, don't bet smart against guy. that guy. Smart guy, uh, studious guy, uh, a tremendous intellect, and, and obviously smart guy. From your perspective as well, Toronto in the uh, Buffalo Bills uh, region, um, NFL, CFL. What's your working relationship with the NFL right now? And, and I know the Toronto piece is only one small piece, but your broad working relationship with the NFL very good it's okay. um, we've put uh, a lot of effort into it there you know we we share we share similar issues in terms of the broadcasting that we just talked about and and working with them on on uh, marketing with the new to the new generation uh, we've had uh, joint referee programs I don't know whether you're aware of that but we send referees uh, down to NFL exhibition games and and likewise we've had uh, I think 10 Ten uh, NFL referees in camp this year. Um, we're working them on them, of course. A hot issue of player safety, um, equipment, and uh, there's, there's. We're finding there's a lot of uh, reasons to work together, and uh, it's, it's been very positive. Of course, uh, uh, Todd Lewicki, uh, who spent a lot of time in Canada, yeah. is well known to us, and uh, and Todd's been a big supporter of of these types of initiatives with officiating and, and otherwise. So it's we have a. We have a healthy relationship with the NFL right now. What's your greatest challenge? Uh, I, I guess you can consider, you know, the uh, uh, youth football danger issues as, as one, and 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 uh, growth as another. But I'll, I'll let you, uh, when you when you get up from a otherwise very restful sleep, being the uh, uh, ce celebrated uh, uh, hero of Canadian football, what's the one thing that gives you pause? Well, I, I think it's. Uh, there are probably a, a couple things. I don't want to evade, evade your question, but it's it's just the competition in terms of uh, making sure that uh, that uh, football stays preeminent uh, as as a, a sport that youth play. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's that's probably 
uh, one of the critical factors. There's so many, uh, and it's a lot of it's for economic reasons. I mean, the, the, in, both in Canada and the U.S., when you see the number of uh, youth now playing soccer, uh, playing field lacrosse, um, playing baseball, playing basketball, we have moved a little bit away from those the heavy, heavy capital, heavy equipment sports. Uh, hockey is struggling somewhat for those reasons in Canada, and uh, and so it's just the cost of some of these sports. So that's that's a concern, and I guess the second concern we touched on earlier is uh, is just um, uh, in, in the case of football in Canada being a a, a, a gates driven league um, with with. Uh, Big screen televisions and, yeah. and and watching games on on uh, on mobile apps. It's 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 another big concern as we look forward and saying where's sports, uh, in particular a game that's played outside in the fall in Canada. Where's that going to be 20 years from now? I think you should open up the offense, have 12 guys have a wider field and only have three downs. <laughs> oh, you already do that. <laughs> oh, sorry. All right, I'll come up. I'll come up with some other ideas. Five years from now, where is the CFL and where is Jim Lawson? Well, five years from now, I, I think the CFL continues to um, increase its footprint through digital media and broadcasting. I think it's uh, it, it's a key. Uh, we are going to continue to take advantage of, of these new stadiums. Uh, I think the the world of of sports marking has become fo focused, and I think the teams and the ownership and the leadership in the league is up to that challenge. As for me. Uh, I, uh, I love the league. I grew up in the league. My father played in the league, and uh, I, uh, I think there's a great ownership group which bodes well for the future of the league, and I hope I can be part of it. A great ownership group is great, but a great chairman that runs that ownership group is even better. Jim, thank you very okay. much. Okay, yeah, I enjoyed really it. Thank you very it. much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. The producer, Alex Cohn. Associate producers, Freddie Joyner and Ryan Warner. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek. Tanner Simpkins and Ronnie Sokatch, and the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Rick Haro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.